Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Ted Lancaster. I'm President and CEO of Core Dealer Services, and I'm former CEO of Kia Canada. A little bit about myself. Um, university, I would BSc in Law from George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. I played hockey for Raleigh and the Kansas City Blades, Kansas City and the IHL. That was San Jose's Farm Club. 25 years automotive experience. Uh, I've worked both OEM and retail, and the list is pretty long. Salesperson, F&I manager, sales manager, DSM, DPSM, RM director in retail and on the OEM side, VP and COO. Uh, happy to say that uh, over the course of my career, I've had top CSI for Honda, Mitsubishi, Mercedes for the regions that I was in charge of. Uh, significant dealer satisfaction growth with both Nissan and Kia. And one of the things I'm most proud of is the top employee engagement that I had globally with Kia Canada for my staff in 2017. So I do tend to focus on the experience of both employees and, and customers. So today, what we're going to cover is the customer's mind. We're actually going to look at the brain, how it impacts the customer's experience. Um, what are the key customer triggers? So negative and positive. And of course, remembering that attitude is everything. We'll talk a little bit about hiring and hiring for success. So what to look for in your employees. Why are people your most valued asset? And then why every department does matter. And then there's three not so secret secrets, but shh, I can't really talk about it right now because they're still a secret. That's for the end of the presentation. So Dr. Christine Weber, a clinical psychologist, says cognitive flexibility is generally required when learning new tasks and necessary in sales and marketing success. As our understanding of neuroplasticity expands, the potential for those in sales to pick up on that knowledge and make use of it will increase by leaps and bounds. So what she's saying is the more we learn about how the brain functions, the more we understand about how people think, the more successful we can be. And the brain is a very unique thing. It processes data in milliseconds. The things you see through visual cues, the way you speak, patterns that you pick up on, all process so rapidly that it's hard to really comprehend just how much data the brain is absorbing at any one time. Why is this important? Because the University of Oxford's Center for Neural Circuits and Behavior says that gathering information before making a decision is considered a hallmark of intelligence. Now, when you really think about that, what they're saying is that what we do every single day, whether it's going to the store buying milk, going to a dealership buying a car, deciding to take in a hockey game, watching the Leafs beat the Vancouver Canucks, whatever it is that you're thinking about doing, you've made that decision and you've thought about it. You've gathered information. How much are the seats? How many people are going to go? What time do I want to get there? Do we want to go for dinner first? Everything we do almost has a planned and patterned process. Now, there are things like gut decisions and emotional decisions. And I'll give you an example in the automotive world where that happens. Customers take the time to plan to go purchase a new car and they've decided that black is the right color. But they get to the dealership and as they go out for the test drive, they see the new ghost gray or whatever the color might be and they're infatuated by it. It's the best color they've ever seen. Well, instantly they can make a decision. They haven't planned for it. They didn't gather information about it, but it's an impulse. And that happens in real time. It happens all the time. And we have to be prepared for those impulse reactions, but major decisions and planning for those major decisions, gathering information beforehand is truly what people do. And it's important to understand that when you're dealing with your consumers. This is tragic. This is the Homsim brain or the Homer Simpson brain. 
for those that haven't seen the, the cartoon. And the reason I say don't out of it, because our salespeople often treat customers as if they have the Homsim brain. We don't necessarily pay enough attention to them. We don't necessarily take what their interests are at heart, or we don't think about the fact that they are processing information about you and your dealership in real time. And some of those decisions could be negative if you're not mindful of what they're thinking of. Take a look at the salesperson. Salesperson looks professional. The store in behind him looks beautiful and clean, looks very friendly, his paperwork looks great, he's got a brochure out. Looks like a very professional experience. But what's missing? Why do we sometimes struggle with someone who looks as honest and courteous and friendly as they could be? Why is it a problem? Trustworthy. 2012, Gallup did a poll, November 26th to 29th of 2012, about the trustworthiness of different professions. And in 2012, you can see highlighted right here at the bottom, car salespeople had an 8% high trustworthiness. Who cares about average or very low? Fact of the matter is, did they have trust in salespeople? And the answer is no. But there's good news, because they did the study six years later. And six years later, they were no longer at the bottom. They were tied for the bottom with members of Congress. Now, why is this a problem? Because as someone like myself who spent years and years working on the OEM side and working with dealers day in and day out, I saw the efforts that dealers were making trying to improve the customer experience. Yet, despite all of that, despite the efforts of the dealers and the OEM, there was still a perception of a lack of trustworthiness. That's not just isolated to the US, Canadians too. Okay, McLean's Magazine put out a report on the top 10 most and least respected jobs or professions. And number two least respected was car salespeople. Now, a little bit higher than our US counterparts, the survey was a little bit different, but still down at the bottom. Why is this? This created a question for me. What are we doing wrong? I've watched dealers do incredible things to improve the customer experience, putting out food, putting out snacks, coffee, tea, whatever it is that the customers are looking for. And still, there's a lack of trustworthiness. Why is that? And can we fix this, is the question that I ask here. Can we fix this by understanding the customer's mind better? What are they thinking? What do they see when they come into the dealership? Well, the functions of the brain are very unique. We do auditory functions and motor and speech production, voluntary movement, motor skills. Everything we do, deciding to reach my arm out to the right or point to the chart on the left, everything is dictated by the brain. So you understand that it's very, very complex. And I'm not going to get into all the complexities. I'll make this as easy as possible. But because we process so much data, understanding how that's processed is a big help to understanding how to connect with your customer. So. I'm going to go into one specific area of this, and that's the five senses. So we always talk about sight, hearing, touch, smell, all the different senses that make up what we do in a daily routine, in a daily operation that fulfill the need for us to connect with people, for us to understand what's happening around us. Now, let's talk about sight. Sight is number one. This is the most important part. The reason sight is so important is because 
what we see and the amount of information that we collect through visual cues is incredible. When I stand before a group of people and talk about this, I can look straight ahead and out of the peripheral I can see the sign to my right, the sign to my left, I can see the picture down here on the board, I can see the lights in the back, and I can see people out in front of me all on their phones paying very little attention to me. But that's okay. That's what's to be expected in today's society. And I'm not calling them out, so don't worry about that. I'm just trying to explain that we see so much and that data in milliseconds is processed. So, think about the customer that drives onto the lot. Think about what they see. Is the lot clean? We're moving into winter months. Do they have a clean place to park? Is it identified? Are the cars parked neatly? Can they see the products? Are they cleaned off? Is the lot presentable? Does it have a nice layout? That's just the first of so many cues that the customer is going to experience as they come into your dealership. Let's say everything's fine and they come through the front door. Is there someone at reception? Is there somebody that greets them? Are the desks a mess? Is the floor clean? Are there pictures faded on the wall? Are there blemishes on the wall? Does the store look in disarray? And when you think about the things I'm asking, the question becomes, what would your impression be? If that was you walking into a competitor store or into a clothing store or into a restaurant and there were scuffs on the wall, there was food on the floor, how would you perceive that business that you're entering? I'm going to imagine not overly favorable. It's like point-of-sale material. Have you identified the vehicles in your showroom? Do you have roll-up banners that speak to the products, that make it easy for customers to find and identify what they're looking for? Everything in and around site is making sure that that first impression goes off without too much challenge. It's like your website. I've talked in the past about the importance of website. When someone goes to check out your store, we know that they are looking online two and three times before they put a foot through that door. If your website is a mess, what do you think their overall impression is of your business? So site is very important. Understanding that having simple things like clean, presentable dealerships, parking that is well identified, and I know some will think that this is the OEM speaking, but it's not. It's your customers. They want to be able to come to the dealership and experience something great and the visual cues are the most important. Next is smell. I'm going to give you a really unfortunate story, but it is true and this is one of those things that can happen. I was consulting with a dealer group and I was spending some time at their dealership and it was spring and the city had decided they were going to do some work on the sewers. And unfortunately there were five businesses that were really poorly affected by this and it was over a week in time. First three days, sales dropped. It was third, fourth week of the month, so it was typically when things ramped up a little bit and they weren't closing deals and customers weren't staying in and it wasn't handled appropriately. So we did a correct course change. We started to greet customers outside and we started to tell them the truth. We started to explain to them that, unfortunately, the city's doing some maintenance. We have some options here. That maintenance has caused the sewers to back up a little bit and the dealership is ripe. We apologize for this. If you can stomach it, handle it, you're more than welcome to come inside. However, 
We have a sister store just down the street so we can continue conversations down there or I'd be happy to take you for a coffee and continue the conversations or let's look at the lot, let's walk around, we can look at vehicles. We found a way to make sure that it was explained to the customers why we weren't inviting them in the store, give them the opportunity to make a decision on what was comfortable for them and guess what? We started to close deals, customers found levels of comfort and things improved. It wasn't just because customers all of a sudden decided to buy, it was because we'd actually put actions in place to prevent their poor impression from becoming an issue of walk out and leave the business. Think about dealerships when you walk in and you can smell the service department. You can smell emissions. It's not comfortable for customers. Things like the fresh scent of coffee works well. So brewing coffee regularly, things like that help. But it's, a, it's an impression that is left right in the brain with the consumer as to what they think of the operation. I don't know if any of you have visited a Tommy Bahama store. Tommy Bahama is, Tommy Bahama is a great clothier. When you walk in a store, you smell vacation. It smells like pineapple and mango and coconut. Nice clothes as well. But you have no problem staying in that store because it just smells great. And I think that's one of the things that we take for granted. We have to remember that the customers coming into the store want a comfortable experience. And there's a lot of mental factors that play into what they perceive as mental, which you experience every single day. It's like the Febreze commercial. You might become nose blind to it. Whereas customers are experiencing this maybe for the first time. We need to make sure that we do things and are aware of things that can cause consumers to have a poor impression. Hearing. What are your salespeople talking about? Is there a customer that's upset in the showroom? Can we diffuse it and get them out of the showroom? Are they hearing battling going on in the service department? Are they hearing negotiations? Are they hearing the manager say, just go back and you know, get them for another $100? What are customers hearing? Everybody in a dealership, for the most part, is within an earshot. When customers hear things that are inappropriate, music is another thing. You can go to Hollister if you want your eardrums blown out, and I'm not showing my age. I like loud music. I did as a kid, and I still do now. But Hollister's quite the company. You step into one of their stores, and you know, great clothing, but the music is about as loud as it can be managed and handled. What about the radio station? Are we playing hip-hop with language that may be inappropriate to some of our more aged customers? Potentially. You gotta remember, there's a real dichotomy there between who might be managing the store, a young person, millennial, Gen Z, and who our client base might be, which is a mix of everybody, Gen X, millennials, even baby boomers. So I think making sure that we're looking at these types of things, again, as cues to what that overall experience is, plays on what the customer's experience is and their impression about visiting your store. Next time you look at your orphan list or, or customers that haven't come into your service department, take the time to call a few of them and say, you did a lot of service with us over the years and all of a sudden you stopped. What changed? Maybe it was price, maybe they felt they were being overcharged. But you might be surprised. You might be surprised to find that something as simple as what it was like for them to sit in the waiting room and listen to the conversations and the music might be a problem. Pick neutral things, things that are appealing to everybody. When you do that, I think you work to a general audience and a much broader audience. You're never going to please everybody. Be mindful of that. But the more people you can please, the better the retention, the better the overall results. Touch is another thing. 
When people are sitting at the desks, they sit in chairs. Do they have tape on the chairs? I've seen dealerships. If there's a hole in the chair, what do we do? We tape it up. Duct tape's fantastic. Probably not in a dealership setting though. Not today. It's not acceptable. Vehicles going out on demo drives where they haven't taken the plastic off the seats. How is somebody going to experience Napa leather if they're sitting on plastic? It's not okay just to do the PDI. Do the PDI and clean up the car. Touch is something that's very important. It really is. Sticky countertops, dirty washrooms, feeling uncomfortable. These are all things that really play into how a customer perceives your business. So when we deal with the five senses, the one thing that I won't touch on is taste. No one's going to lick a car. Okay? Well, I hope not. There are some, but probably not. But what you can do with taste, simple things. I mean, it's really about the food, the drink, things that you're offering your consumers. You want to make sure it's up to date. You want to make sure there's no over-expired milk that can be poured into the coffee. The coffee's fresh. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take a lot of time, really. Lead by example. I mean, myself, I changed coffee filters. I had no problem doing it. I was vice president for the group that I worked with. It was what was needed for the consumers. Okay, pick up fresh fruit if you want. Make sure that the snacks are appealing. Simple things like that go a long way. Okay, so that's talking about the five senses and how they can impact you. Now, it's the processes of the brain. To truly understand how to fix and address customer issues, it's understanding what can trigger bad feelings toward the operation or the dealership. But now the process. So, the analytical side that you're looking at here, or the very, um, I would say, technical side is, is shown here. So front of the brain, what things mean? These are definitions. We always talk about left side, right side, one being imaginative, one being analytical. It's really four different quadrants of the brain that we talk about. Okay, but the front part is really about what things mean. And with what things mean or definitions, there's an analytical, which is opinion, logic, and principles. And there's an imaginative or the imagery side which are beliefs, values, and creative. That makes up the definitions, front part of brains and how they function. The backside is the relational and then the practical. So again, relational still being on the imagery side and then practical being on the language or analytical side. And in there, you're gonna have on the relational side experiences, sensations, and feelings. Oh, those feelings, we love feelings. And then on the practical side is the data, the definitions, and communication. Now that's just generally how they work. And as you can see, where we talk about, we look at the circle, we talk about analytical, moving to experimental, moving to relational, then to practical. And that's how the brain tends to function. So we form an opinion, we, we look at logic, we have principles, then we go to our beliefs and values and the creative and we image and we see things happening. Then there's the relational. How are we correlating all this information, putting it into experiences, sensations, and feelings? And then finally, we take all that data, we look for the definitions, and then we communicate what it is we want. So when we model it into a sales process, and this is what's most important, is understanding that people start with and I've modified it slightly. So where we had language, we now have data collection. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna start the same spot that we did before. I need to buy a car. So we're on the analytical front side of the brain. Okay, so we're talking about analytical here. I need to buy a car. So I'm defining a problem. I'm gonna do my fact finding and I'm gonna make certain assumptions. So this is what I think I can afford. This is the type of vehicle I would like. 
and now I'm going to start to research. I'm going to go online. And when I'm going through that process, almost in tandem with it, is we see ourselves driving that new car. So as we're talking about the analytics, now we're visioning what's going to happen. So we visualize the end goal. There's me and my Escalade rolling down the, whatever it might be. Okay, we're visualizing that. We imagine potential pitfalls, affordability, trade-in. What about my trade-in? I got to think about that. And then creative approaches to achieve the goal. Well, maybe I don't have to trade in. If I give the car to my, I could sell it to my cousin. He's been looking for something and he always liked my car. Then I'd have a little bit extra because I know the dealership's not going to give me what I want for the trade. Okay, I think I can make that work. Well, once we've gotten past that, and again, this is happening in fractions of, of seconds, really. Then who do I need to share this with? Okay, when we look back, we talk about the relational side, and this is where relational, which is experiences, sensations, and feelings. So who are the decision, decision makers? What's the impact of this decision? What's the level of involvement with these people that I'm bringing in? So who am I sharing this with? Again, it's the vision side. And then finally, when we've got through all those three quadrants, so we need to buy a car, we see myself driving it, I've, I've talked to my, my wife or partner about it, or the kids, what's next? Well, next is how to, how to get started. What's the next steps? And let's really begin this process. And that's where sales and dealerships come together. Okay, it's where opportunity is really given and provided to the dealerships. Now they're planning they're looking at timelines, how long until I can get my vehicle, and they're taking action. And the reason it's so important to understand this, understanding this whole process, how people start from I need a car, going all the way around to how do I get started and what, what's next and taking action, is because your website, let's say it's great, you know, they're looking at, they're researching it, they feel comfortable, they've done all that. Once they've done all that research and made a decision to come in and take action, are they buyers at that point? I'd say they're pretty close to being buyers. So as long as you empathize with them, as long as you understand that process that they've gone through, you can then implement the right strategies to welcome them and tell them, I'm sure you've done an insane amount of research before you've come to see us. I am here to make sure that all that research doesn't go to waste we're going to make sure that we get you exactly what you're looking for today. Oh, that's a, that's a relief. When we talk about imagery, what do you think the imagery is for customers these days? Do you think they think, yippee, I'm going to get a car? Well, they do for a boat. They probably do for other equipment, right? If they're buying a motorcycle, an RV, ATV, anything like that that's really more of a, we'll say it's a luxury. We'll say it's a, a want, not a need. They love it. They have a fabulous time going through that experience. Do you think they get that excited about buying a car? They do for a house. But I don't know that they do. Their imagery, based on what we saw from the Gallup poll and the McLean's article, is that it's probably going to be confrontational. I'm not going to get enough for my trade. I have to negotiate. I have to dicker. All the things that we know and read whether it's Google, Moritz, J.D. Power, any of those companies, they all say the same things. Customers don't really want that negotiation. They don't want to go back and forth too much. They want to come in and making a decision. They've stepped into your store. They've done the homework and they're ready to buy. And understanding that they've done all that and understanding how their minds process this is really key 
to making that final step a successful one. So the question becomes, how do we prepare? All right, so what do we do? So how you as a sales manager or salesperson show up is critical. Before any customer engagement, you need to ask yourself a series of questions. How are you feeling today? Are you excited about coming into work? What are you thinking? Are you thinking about how much you drank last night, how much scotch you had, and you really feel like crap? Okay. Are you excited about the meeting and the products you have to sell? All right, you've made an appointment with this customer. Are you excited about it? Customer might have reached out. They've done the lead. Right? You followed up. You've done everything you can to get the customer to come through the door. And now you understand that process. Are you excited about seeing them? Are you going to make it fun? Are you going to make it enjoyable? I'd like to think yes. Have you remembered everything that you need? You know the vehicle. Is the vehicle cleaned? Is it in A1 working order? You've test driven the vehicle to make sure that when they come in, there's no hiccups, no problems. It's got gas in it. Everything's going to go smooth. Have you taken that time? And ultimately ask yourself, how do I want this experience to go? Because I think you can never get that wrong. I'm going to tie back into that later on with the three not so secret secrets, but quite honestly, if you ask yourself, how do I want this experience to go? You won't get the process wrong. And next we have to understand how do we make it good for the customer? How do we make them feel comfortable and they want to buy from us? I suggest, I suggest that we create an environment with your customer that, number one, alleviates uncertainty. Make them feel at home. Make them understand that you're there to help them. That none of their questions will go unanswered. That you connect emotionally with the customer. And I don't mean you reach out and give them a hug. Not in today's environment. Okay? But connect emotionally. Understand their needs. Understand their wants. That life situation that brought them in that day. You include the customer in the product vision and future. We talk about the imagery side of the brain. Sell them on the fact that they look great in that Escalade. That the space, putting the kids' gear in the back when they get together and go to the hockey tournament, it's going to be so great for you guys. I mean, I can see you as a family driving, having fun in the countryside, laughing, kids watching movies in the back. Provide them with that vision of the future ownership. Provide a process that will allow the customer's brain to choose or decide. One of my predecessors was up here and he's talking about asking over and over and over. And all the customer would see then is the sale, that you're looking for money, you're looking to close a deal. Don't do that. Okay, provide a process that will allow the customer's brain to choose or decide. Get them to the finish line. You know, it's like the adage, lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink. In this case, lead them to the point. If you have to take a cup and drink yourself so they can see it, get that done. Okay? Make them be the ones that make the decision. And then show how you can provide a tangible benefit to the customer for choosing you and your dealership. It doesn't have to be monetary. It could just be services that you provide as a courtesy. Make sure they understand everything about your dealership. Everything you do, whether it's community-driven events, whether it's a courtesy wash every time they come in, complimentary tire storage, whatever it is, make sure you remind them of the benefits of doing business with you. If you do that, I think you'll see great success. This gentleman here to my left, that's Cousin Jim. Okay, Jim is a doctor at Stanford University. And I reached out to him to understand as much as I could about the brain and I asked him, what is it? What is it that makes up 
the decision pattern in individuals. And his comment was, incentives, mostly financial, drive decision making and how one feels about the experience of that decision. Now, had he stopped there, I could have stood up here and said, give your customers the best discount possible and everything will be fine. But he went on to say, however, the overall experience is truly determined not on financial factors alone. Ensuring that people are treated in a professional manner, you are honest and trusted is the only way to ensure success in a transaction. So, yes, customers are payment conscious. Yes, they are price conscious. And making sure that we provide, I'm not going to say a good price, but good value is important. I ask people all the time, would you pay more for a great experience? Or have you in your life paid more for a great experience than you could have if you just bought someplace else? And a lot of people say, yes, they have. I know I have. And I don't have an issue with that because I feel good about that experience. So to me, that's the value proposition. Understanding that customers' minds work the same way, all of ours work very similar, is important. So again, it's not about price. It's about the overall experience and being honest and trusted. That will get you and garner you additional opportunities with your consumers. So let's look at a study of one specific company. It's Ritz-Carlton. So in the book, Excellence Wins, and for those of you who haven't read it, buy it, pull it up online, and read it. Okay, it's the co-founder of Ritz-Carlton, Horst Schultz, and he explains how he implemented a policy empowering every employee to spend up to, don't be shocked, $2,000 to make guests happy. In that book, there's a story about the housekeeper named Mary. Mary's a wonderful housekeeper. She was cleaning a room after an early departure, and as she was cleaning up the room, she found a laptop. I guess he had put it in the drawer and forgotten about it. So they contacted him just as he was boarding his plane to Hawaii. This was out of Atlanta. So what happened next was unbelievable and exactly what customer service is all about. Mary was put on a plane, the next plane out of Atlanta heading to Hawaii. She flew there. He was staying at a property that was part of the Ritz group. She hand delivered it to him at the hotel. She didn't stay a day. She got the next plane out and flew back. True story. You can look it up and you can read it. It's fascinating the level of service to make this one very good client as happy as possible. The best part about this was it's not just about empowering the employees and giving them the resources. So it's not about $2,000 or anything like that. It's about making customers happy. And often it will result in superior service and experience. Okay. But the next step in this is what's most critical, and this is what the book Excellent Wins tells us. Share those stories. Ritz-Carlton every single week share stories like this amongst all their employees. They look at all the situations that they did and they share them. And you guys can do that too, whether it's a dealership of 15 or a dealership of 50. It doesn't matter. I still remember to this day when one of my former bosses pulled us together for a meeting. We thought we were all in trouble. He got a phone call from a customer and he wanted to share it with everybody to make sure we understood the value of customers. And I got called out because you know what I did? I saw a customer on the side of the road with a flat tire and had our dealer plate on it. And I stopped and I helped them. That's it. It's the end of the story. <laughs> I just cared. I cared enough because it was a client of the place that I worked. 
is a GM store, my first job in the automotive. It's a great feeling. That customer came back and bought two more times. And all I did was just stop my car. So it's simple things, little things that make a huge difference in perception of the brain, how it works. Now, some of you recognize these two guys. They're uh, stepbrothers. But hiring for success, how do we do it? Well, there's a divide. There's millennial and Gen Z, or Gen Z, and then there's the older manager resistance that we're facing. The function of leadership, though, is to produce more leaders, not more followers. So it's not about changing out the people coming in that can benefit your business. If people are resistant to change, find a way to get them to change or change them. It is so important that we adapt to a new way of doing business and getting people that think and are like-minded with what our customers are expecting. So, a chart on millennials and Gen Z. And we can debate when they're born between, some say 1980 to 1996 for millennials, some say 97 to 210 for Gen Z. Within there, there's a few years crossover, I'm sure. But what's the difference between them? Well, millennials, they grew up in an economic boom. They tend to be idealistic. They're mobile pioneers. They're really the ones that got everybody going with technology. They share their values. Um, most were raised by baby boomers, and Facebook and Instagram are their options of choice. That's shifted a little bit, but primarily that's what they make up. And then there's Gen Z, and they, you know, raised by Gen Xers, it's me, grew up in a bit of a recession, tend to be pragmatic. They like to save money, they focus on saving money. They're mobile natives, so they grew up in a technology, a real technology age, where cursive isn't really taught anymore. Everything's on the computer or the iPad okay, or tablet. Um, they prefer, prefer brands that feel authentic. And this is one that's very important. What does feeling authentic mean? It's one that you can trust. It's one that you have confidence in. One you believe in. One that shares its values for everybody to read. And they prefer video, Snapchat and Instagram. So why do we struggle hiring these people? Why are we afraid of them coming in and being somewhat independent and somewhat demanding and being open about what they feel and what they want. We shouldn't be. They're our greatest asset. So four keys to remember in working with them. So when you're working with Gen Z and their slightly older counterparts, it doesn't have to be complicated, okay? The biggest shift to make is recognizing that young people today can provide a tremendous amount of value. And they can from a technology standpoint, from a connection to people standpoint, Keep in mind, the buyers of tomorrow are the millennials of today and the Gen Zs that are growing up and making money and willing to spend it with people that they trust and believe in. Young people are exceedingly independent, okay? And technology has made responsibilities much easier to manage. So it's accountability that younger people are looking for. What does that mean? Simply means that they want you to believe in what they're doing. So if they're out there on social media and they're being funny and they're being innovative and they're bringing interested people into the store or they're connecting with people and the number of people following them go up and up and up and they're talking about your brand favorably, then guess what? That's a good thing, isn't it? More eyes on the product, the better. So embrace that. They're natives in a digital world and often understand the way things work even better than industry veterans who are managing them. Okay, so don't be afraid to leverage them. You wouldn't believe the number of dealerships I've gone to and said, why don't you make him your social media manager? Like, let him sell cars, but 
who cares? He can still sell cars between doing the fun stuff, taking pictures of the product and getting it out socially. Give them access to your accounts. Guys that are smart are adopting that. Absolutely. Look to the people that can do the job. There's nothing wrong with that. Leadership is about making sure that you put the people in place that improve the success of the operation. All right, what will keep a young person loyal to your company is what you do, okay? The activities you are engaged in on a day-to-day -day basis. In other words, it's not okay just to say it. You need to walk the walk to build loyalty. I have a very strong mindset that I will not ask people to do what I'm not willing to do myself. And I think if you are a leader and you're a truly successful leader, you have to be of that mindset. If you're willing to step in and do the job or try and learn what they're doing, if you try and adapt and be socially responsible, if you try and um, connect through social media channels, you open your Instagram account, you know what? They might laugh at what you post, but they will really appreciate that you're trying. And that's where you build loyalty to your business. So don't be afraid to do that. Interview ideas to think about. This is a big one for me. You want to get candidates that are good on customer experience and are going to do your brand the justice that it deserves? Number one, make conversation. Get as far away from standard questions as you can. Formatted questions, everybody can plan for them. I can pull up on the internet right now 50 different articles on the types of questions to expect in an interview. Is that the real person? Are you going to get the real answer? Or are you going to get the canned answer that they've planned for? Give them a scenario and see how they would address it. Often you can gauge customer interactions through hypothetical analysis. So tell them about a scenario. What would happen if you had worked with a customer um, and you told them one thing that it had all-wheel drive and it didn't and they were expecting it on the vehicle? How would you handle that situation? Let them tell you what they would do. Some will say, quite honestly, it's something you'd have to teach me, but I'd probably explain the situation to my manager and uh, apologize to the customer and, and you know, look for your help in getting it resolved. That's a pretty good answer. I might hire somebody that was willing to say that you know, they wouldn't, you know, they'd be willing to go to you and explain their mistake. That's honesty. It's a lot. It's a lot of value in honesty these days. Get them to tell you about their most difficult interaction and what they felt could have solved the issue. So allow them to tell a real world experience about what they had that was an awful experience and how it was handled and how they would have liked it to be handled. It will tell you how they think. Make the experience a reflection of your business and what they can expect. Seek their buy-in. Don't be afraid to make the interview a roaming interview. Walk them around the dealership. You know, you can sit down afterwards, but show them the dealership. Show the customers. Show the clients. Show your staff. Show the facility, what you're most proud of, the business that you've built. Don't be afraid to do that. Again, remember what we said about millennials and Gen, Gen Z. Buy-in is important. They will believe in somebody that they feel comfortable with. One question I ask all potential employees, and I would encourage you to ask this question. It's very simple. Do you love to win or hate to lose? The question is, why do I ask that question? I'm going to show you a picture here. This is Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas is one of the top PGA Tour professionals in the world. And he is quoted, I hate to lose more than I like to win. Where I come up with this question, I was asked this question when I was with San Jose's Farm Club in Kansas City. We all had to do our psych evaluations and I was asked, Ted, do you love to win or hate to lose? And I said, hate to lose. I was a goaltender and to me, you know, I was asked why, I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's eight nothing, it's better than nine nothing. <laughs> I'd hate to be in that game still eight nothing. Hopefully the coach would have pulled me by then, but it doesn't matter. Every single opportunity against the player coming in, every shot was a chance for me to stop him. 
and I hated giving up on the puck. If I had to dive, throw a stick, throw a blocker, didn't matter. I tried my best to find a way to, to prevent that puck from getting by me. So the psychologist said to me, she said, it's funny you say that because about 33 to 40% of people only will say that they hate to lose. Most people say they love to win because of the stigma around it. Winning means you're a champion, it means you're successful. She said, however, take a look the next time you're watching sports. If a team's down significantly, do people give up? They do. Are they skating as hard? They're not. And think about that in a scenario with a customer that says, I'm not sure I want to buy today. The person who loves to win may not continue to go after, may not continue to follow up, may not continue to do that little bit extra because they see getting the sale as the only victory. Whereas the person who hates to lose, is there a chance to call them back? Shall I call them in a week? Maybe they need just more time to think. I'm going to take the car to them. Next time they're in for service, whatever it's going to be, they're going to do everything they can because they hate to lose that sale. So that's why I asked that question. I think it's very important. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. But I find people that hate to lose better employees in every circumstance that I've come across. Now, some people say they love to win. Ask them to explain it. Because in explaining why they say they love to win, it's really that they hate to lose. They just aren't defining it the right way. So always ask them to explain it. But it's a great question to ask. All right, now we come to the summary side of things, okay? These are the three secrets to CX success. You can share them if you wish. Here we go. Number one, treat people the way you want to be treated. This is not hard, folks. It's not me. I'm not the first person to say this. It's been said for years and years and years. My dad told me three things about business, and this was number one. Treat people the way you want to be treated. How hard is it to wake up in the morning and go out and interact with somebody and think about that. If you think about that, it's like earlier in the presentation. How do I want this to go? How do I want this experience today to go with the customer? Same thing. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Do you want to be lied to? Do you want to be pushed? Do you want to be asked over and over, buy the car, buy the car, buy the car, buy the car? Or do you want to be consulted, presented, treated as if your money is of incredible value to the dealership? When you spend, I don't know, $30, $50 going out for wings and beers with your friends. What do you want that experience to be? Waiter or waitress? Do you want to be polite and friendly and courteous to you? Yeah, of course. What happens when they are? Do you tip more or tip less? Those that tip. I know if I have a great experience with a waiter or a waitress, I tip more. It's all based on my experience. The only failure is the failure to try. Get your staff to understand that. If your answer to a customer is, nope, can't do that, conversation's over, they're out the door. You probably lost that customer. It's a lot easier to say, Mr. Harris, I'm gonna do everything I can to make that happen for you. I know we've had some challenges getting pickup trucks right now. It's been very unique. Plants shut down, there's a whole host of reasons why, but if there's a way for me to get it, I'll get it for you. Absolutely. It just may take some time. Putting in an effort every single day is not hard. Right? It takes zero energy to come to work happy, reach out to a customer a second or third time. It takes no energy. So the only failure really is the failure to put in an effort. The last one, and one that's very important, be honest. Integrity matters to your dealer principal, to yourself. The only thing that we own outright is our integrity. It's yours to make or break. So. 
If you take the time to be truthful with a customer, if you are open and honest with them, how comfortable do you think they're going to be about doing business with you? Probably pretty comfortable. And again, because we're talking about how the brain works, think about these three things as, like I said, they're not so secret secrets. But if you think about what I explained and how the brain functions, how people process data, how they come to decisions, if you get these three right, what do you think the likelihood is of closing a deal? It's pretty good. So a few years ago, I presented this to Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment and Jeff DeLine's team. And following that, for the purpose of a presentation I did last year and the year before, um, I asked him to come back with what has your team discovered about how to interact and, and working with clients. And he said, I think a great key to service is anticipation. Know what they will want and need before they even ask. So are you mining your database? Are you diving into your database and understanding when they're in a potential equity position and, and how to get that customer rolled out and get a good fresh used car onto the lot and get them into a new car? Are you doing that? Are you anticipating what customers might need? Do you ask that when you book a service appointment? Is there anything you need? Will you need a, a, a vehicle when you're here? Even if it's for a few hours, do you need a vehicle? Would you like a ride home? Is there anything we can have ready for you when you come in? Do you like your coffee black? Like with cream? Make sure the coffee's fresh? It doesn't take much to ask those things. Put a little note in the file. Big deal. The philosophy is deeply rooted in trust, respect, and execution. That's it. I mean, it says that has people wanting to return over and over. What did I say about be honest? Be open. Build trust. It works. Not just for dealerships, but for Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. Yes, they have the Raptors won a championship. The Leafs, which are always going to be a team of dynasty in, in Ontario and Toronto. They have Toronto FC and now they have the Argonauts. So yeah, they're a commodity that people want to go see. But the experience from his side is sponsorships. So he is selling sponsorships all the time. People that will pay money to be branded with these teams. And then from a service standpoint, need to continue to understand the needs, challenges, and goals and objectives and need to remind ourselves of them every single day. And that will allow us to deliver exceptional experiences to our partners. Maybe you don't believe Jeff, but maybe you'll believe J.D. Power. So this was provided to me by J.D. Power, J.D. Nay, who works for J.D. Power. I've known him for a number of years. He said, it's not rocket science, but it does require innovation. So what are the five important things? Personalization, wowing, communication, technology, and people. And what are the brands that they associate with doing this very well? Amazon, Apple, Enterprise, Four Seasons. Oh, and on the far right, Ritz-Carlton. I implore you all, think more about how people think their way through a purchase, what they're experiencing when they walk into your dealership, the five senses. Those are keys to improving not just the customer experience, but satisfaction, employee engagement. All those things can be achieved very easily just by putting in a little bit extra effort. That's me. If you want to get in touch with me, by all means, reach out. It's my email, phone number, and our website. Anybody wants this, uh, uh, if they want to hear this presentation, want me to do it for your staff, just let us know. I'll be happy to do it. All right. Thank you very much. That was fun. Have a great day.